Before we start, let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are abundant in your grace toward us. You allow us to be in your house this morning and to sing praises to you. And now we come to your word and we ask that you would open our hearts. Give us grace to see the truth that you have prepared for us. And most importantly, that you would allow each one of us here to take this truth and to walk from this place and live it. I pray that you would encourage us this morning from your word, for your glory in Christ's name, amen. If you met a discouraged Christian who wants to give up on ministry, what would you tell him? Perhaps this morning you find yourself in a place where you want to throw in a towel. What would encourage you to keep going? Listen to this excerpt from an actual letter written by one pastor to another. Dear Jim, I'm through. Yesterday I handed in my resignation to take effect, take effect at once, and this morning I began work for the land company. I shall not return to the pastorate. I think I can see in your heart as you read these words and behold, not a little disappointment if not disgust. I don't blame you at all. I'm somewhat disgusted with myself. Do you recall the days in the seminary when we talked of the future and painted pictures of what we were to do for the kingdom of God? We saw the boundless need for an unselfish Christian service and longed to be out among men doing, part, doing our part toward the world's redemption. I shall never forget that last night before graduation, you were to go to a foreign field and I to the church. We had brave dreams of usefulness, and you have realized them. As I look back across 25 years, I can see some lives that I have helped and some things which I have been permitted to do that are worthwhile. But sitting here tonight, I am more than half convinced that God cannot use me as a minister. If you could, I am not big enough or brave enough to pay the price. I'm tired. Tired of being the only one in the church from whom real sacrifice is expected. Tired of straining and tugging to get Christian people to live like Christians. Tired of planning work for my people and then being compelled to do it myself or see it left undone. Tired of dodging my creditors when I wouldn't need to if I had what is due me. Tired of the vision of a penniless old age. I'm not leaving Christ. I love him. I shall try to serve him. Judge me leniently, old friend. I can't bear to lose your friendship. Yours, William. Now, William is not the first person to find himself in this predicament. Fortunately for us, the problem of discouragement in ministry is as old as the Bible. Are you discouraged today and want to sit on the sidelines? Do you know somebody who is discouraged? If you do, and if that's you, God has a word for you this morning. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning that is addressed to a man who is discouraged. A man who has a temptation to sit on the sidelines. It is the final letter written by Paul, written to Timothy. 
his son in the faith. Timothy is a relatively young man. At this time, he is pastoring the church in Ephesus, a city where Paul started this church and where he pastored for three years. Second Timothy is full of encouragement. It is full of commands. It is full of exhortation. And as we work our way to chapter 4, where we will look at first five verses this morning, I want to begin by showing you where Timothy was when Paul was writing this letter. If you have your Bibles, open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse, in verse 6, Paul says this, For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Kindle afresh? The fire which Timothy once had was dying out. And Paul is writing this letter and says, Timothy, I want, you to, I want to remind you to stir the fire up, to kindle afresh the gift of God. The gift of God is the ministry which God has assigned to Timothy to fulfill. You know, God has unique ministry for each one of us. If you are a believer in this room today, God has assigned work for you to do. And God has equipped you and God has given you gifts that you ought to employ for his service. Now, whether you know it or not, you have the gift and you have ministry that is assigned to you. Look at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Apparently, Timothy was coming to a point where he was beginning to be ashamed, or at least he was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel and of Paul. Now, it was dangerous to hang around guys like Paul because guys like that tend to end up in prison and shortly after executed. And that's why Paul says here, join me in suffering for the gospel. Do not sit on the sidelines. And the first thing he does right after that is he takes his eyes and he lifts him to God and to Christ Jesus. Look at verse 9. He says, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And then in verse 12, he adds, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Later on in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am able to suffer and endure what I endure because I have my eyes on Christ. You see, discouragement creeps in when your eyes are not on Christ. That was Paul's encouragement to Timothy. As he moves into chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It seems like you are weak. It seems that you're struggling. He says, Timothy, be strong, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You have no strength to be strong on your own. You need the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And after giving him much exhortation, much instructions, many commands in chapters 2 and 3, he comes to chapter 4 when he gives this final charge to Timothy. And our focus this morning is going to be on chapter 4, first five verses. 
You know, the danger of preaching on these verses is that most of the people in the church think that these verses do not apply to them. You hear these verses preach, or you preach them at pastors' conferences, but not to regular folks in the church. And sure, the immediate application of these verses were to Timothy and to anyone who stands in the pulpit or to anyone who preaches the word. But these verses, they have relevance for every single person here. The lessons that Timothy needed to learn are the same lessons that you and I need to learn. The ministry which Timothy was to carry out is the same ministry that you and I need to carry out. See, regardless of what your calling is, regardless of what your ministry is, you need the same encouragement that Paul gave to Timothy in these verses. If I take these five verses and I summarize them in one statement, it would go like this. In light of God's, in light of the judgment of God, faithfully ministered the word of God, regardless of the response of the people to God. Let me say that again. In light of the judgment of God, that's verse one, faithfully ministered the word of God, regardless of the response of the people to God. As we unpack these verses, I want to give you two headings that we look at. First of all, Paul looks at Timothy and Paul looks at each one of us and he says, first of all, consider your accountability. Consider your accountability. That's in verse 1. And in light of that, he tells him that you are to fulfill your responsibility. Fulfill your responsibility. Join me as I read first eight verses of chapter 4. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teacher in accordance with their own desires, and will churn away their ears from the truth and will churn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's begin in verse 1 where Paul commends Timothy and you and me to consider your responsibility. First of all, he begins in verse 1. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. Now there is a lot in these verses. And if we would just take away and strip it down to its core, you can say that these five verses basically say one thing. Paul says, I charge you, preach the word. Everything else falls into this category. Or you can say it a different way. I charge you, fulfill your ministry. 
The very last imperative in verse 5 is fulfill your ministry. And I like this better because fulfill your ministry encompasses preaching the word. You can take this entire passage and it has one idea. I charge you fulfill your ministry. Now, if you look at the structure of this text, there are nine imperatives. There are nine commands in this verse. If you look at verse 2, there are five commands there. Preach, be ready, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. If you look at verse 5, there's four more there. Be sober, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. But notice that Paul does not start with commands. He leaves it until verse 2 and until verse 5. He starts by reminding Timothy of the accountability that he has to fulfill those commands. Verse 1 gives the gravity to these commands. And he begins and he says, I solemnly charge you. Solemnly charge you. Notice there is seriousness to this charge. This is a court language. He says, you are standing in the court and you are taking an oath. You are standing before the judge. And if this was all Paul said, that would be enough. You're taking an oath. You have been commissioned to fulfill your ministry. But notice he doesn't stop there. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. Now, the seriousness just went up a notch. You are in the court, and God himself, God the Father, is presiding over this court. But he doesn't stop there either. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now, not only the Father is in the court, it is the Father and Jesus Christ who are standing there in that court. Now, now things are serious. And notice what he adds about Jesus. As if that wasn't enough, he could have just gone on to the commands. But notice he says, Timothy, this is very serious. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And let me tell you about Christ Jesus something. Christ Jesus is the one who is going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge the living and the dead. Timothy, Jesus Christ is going to judge you. And you can't escape whether you are alive or you are dead. You say, wait a minute, I thought Christian people are not going to be judged. Don't we just like pass from judgment? And yes, in terms of your destiny, in terms of your eternal life, where you're going to spend your eternal life, you will not be judged because Christ took care of that. But you will have to give an account to God for what you did with the gifts and the ministry that he has given to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says, For we, we Christians, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, let me remind you of a court date that you have. You have a court date. And when you're going to stand in that court, God the Father and Jesus Christ will be presiding over that court. Jesus Christ assigned ministry to you. He has given you a task to fulfill. And you're going to stand before him one day, and you're going to give an account of how well you perform. First of all, for all of us here, you have a ministry that God has given to you. And the second question is, how well are you fulfilling your ministry? Now notice there's urgency to this because he says he is about to judge the living and the dead. It is as if this can happen tomorrow. It can happen anytime. You might appear before the judgment seat of God at any time. And then he adds here, and by his appearing in his kingdom. 
The word appearing is interesting. It was used of emperors who would show up to various places. And before they would show up, everything would be prepared. Everything would be cleaned up and neat because an emperor is coming. And here he's saying, listen, Jesus Christ is coming. He is about to appear and he's about to set up his kingdom. And you're going to stand before him. And you're going to have to give an account to him for how well you've performed the ministry that he has given to you. Now in light of this, notice that your ministry... Your service to God is not just something that you do on the side or something that you do sometimes when you have time or something that you do when you're really on fire for it. No, you're going to have to give an account to God. You can say that based on this text that Jesus himself is constantly watching and evaluating everything about you. And he keeps a record so that on that last day what you've done will either go up in flames or will prove that your ministry was worthwhile. Notice that you're ultimately accountable not to men, not to the church, not to your Bible study leader, not to your wife, but you are ultimately accountable to God. That's where he starts. He says, Timothy, consider your accountability. Do you feel the weight of that accountability? Do you often think about the fact that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give an answer to him for all that he has given to you? You're going to have to give that account. Now, since God is watching, it is both a good thing and a bad thing in a sense. It's a good thing in a sense that when you are serving people and no one sees you, no one cares, you're serving people and you're just doing it from your heart, but no one appreciates you. Listen, there is one who is always watching. There is one who keeps an account of that. He sees your labor. He sees your sleepless nights. He sees your pain. He sees your hurt. He sees your sacrifice in your ministry. And one day when you're going to stand before him, he has all that written down. On the other hand, it's a warning. He's watching. He's watching. So if you're just sitting on the sidelines, if you just want to throw in a towel and do nothing, he is always watching. And because he's watching, you're going to have to give an account for that as well. And Paul, first of all, says, Timothy, I want you to live in light of that one court date that you have. Timothy, consider your accountability. And in light of that, we come to the second point. Timothy, I want you to fulfill your responsibility. Now, as I mentioned, there are nine commands in this text. Now, I'm not going to give you nine points here because, as they say, it's easier to catch a baseball than a handful of sand, right? I'm going to summarize it in one command here where he says, Timothy, your responsibility is to fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Now, your ministry is in verse 2 where he says, Timothy, your ministry is to faithfully minister the word of God. In light of God's judgment, faithfully minister the word of God. And one of the ways to study your Bible and to understand what the Bible or what the text is saying is to just ask questions of the text. Someone coined this verse that is helpful when he says, you know, I had six faithful friends. They taught me all I knew. Their names are how and what and why, when and where and who. You take these six questions and you ask them of any text and you will understand what the text is about. Now, we already answered two questions. Who and where? It was Timothy, pastor in the church in Ephesus. Now, to understand this command to fulfill your ministry, 
I want to take and I want to answer the remaining four questions. First question, what are you supposed to be and what are you supposed to do? Second question, when are you supposed to do it? Third question, how are you supposed to do it? And the last but not least, why are you supposed to do it? Now we'll be moving around a bit within these verses just to organize under these four headings. First question, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? He says in verse 2, Timothy, this is what I want you to do. Preach the word. Now, as I said, Timothy is a pastor. He is pastor of the church in Ephesus. And as a pastor of the church of Ephesus, he has responsibility over the flock that God has allotted to his charge. What is Timothy to do? He says, preach the word. What is he supposed to preach? He's supposed to preach the word. Now, this is pretty straightforward. There isn't much explanation here. And obviously, when he says here, Timothy, I want you to preach the word, this is an obvious reference to Scripture, to the written word of God that Timothy already had at that time. He used this term earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which, has, which you have been following. Now, when he says, Timothy, I want you to preach the word, this, is, this command doesn't come in isolation. We've got to look at the contents to figure out where he's going and where he's been. So if you look at your Bibles, you look at chapter 3 and just go up a little bit. Go up to chapter 3, verse 13. Let's read from verse 13. He says, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then these famous verses that we all know by heart, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the men of God may be adequate, equipped, for every good work. And notice he begins in verse 13 by saying that the world around you is going to get worse and worse. But you, Timothy, from your childhood, you have known the sacred writings. You have learned them from your mom and you have learned them from your grandmother. Just as a side note here, looking at Timothy, this is a great encouragement for single moms here, or for families where the father is in whatever way is out of the picture. Timothy believed the gospel. And Timothy became the minister of the gospel because of the influence of his mother and the influence of his grandmother. So you might be thinking that I'm just sitting at home here doing laundry and feeding my family. And what can I do? No, Timothy became the man he became because of the influence of his mother and his grandmother. Now Paul says here, listen, they taught you the word. They taught you the word, and you have become a Christian because you have believed the word that they have taught you. Now, verse 16, we often quote this verse as a proof of inspiration, and it is true that Scripture is inspired. But the reason why verse 16 is here is not to tell us about what Scripture is, but it is to tell us what the Scripture does. Because when he says in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. He says here that, 
The inspired word of God, it does four things here. It says it teaches, it reproves, it corrects, and it trains. That's what the word of God does. That's what scripture does. And it does so in verse 17 that we see the result. That as the scripture does these four things, then he says, so that the men of God may be adequate, prepared for every good work. Listen, our goal in ministry is to present every man complete in Christ. That's what we want to accomplish. Colossians 1.28 says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says that God has given pastors to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Now, if Timothy is a pastor, and he is to equip his people, and he is to make them complete, or do everything in his power to present them complete, then he is to preach the word of God to them. Why? Because the word of God makes them complete. Because the word of God will do these four things. Now, notice the parallels between verses 16 and verse 2 of chapter 2. In verse 16, we say that the scripture does four things. It teaches, it reproves, it corrects, and it trains. Now, when Paul gives command to Timothy in verse 2, he says, Timothy, I want you to preach, which includes teaching. And then he adds three more imperatives here. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Notice the parallel between what the scripture does and what, the Tim what Timothy was supposed to do. The scripture teaches, reproves, corrects, and trains. And Timothy was supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. This is what he was supposed to do. Why? Because when you preach the word of God faithfully, verse by verse, from passage to passage, people will hear the word of God, and the word of God will confront, the word of God will rebuke, the word of God will correct, the word of God will train people. Timothy, you have one tool in your tool belt that you are to use because that is how God makes people complete. I want you to preach the word. Preach the word faithfully. And when you preach the word faithfully, the word will accomplish this. Listen, our authority lies not in the preacher, not in the pastor. The authority is in the word. And our job is to faithfully proclaim the word of God to you. Now, if we look at the context of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy is dealing with false teachers in the church. People who infiltrated the church and were teaching heresies there. And Timothy was to preach the word of God there. T Timothy was supposed to reprove these people by exposing their heresy to the word of God. He was supposed to rebuke those who persist in that error. And he was to encourage those who turn and follow in the way of scripture. Now all of this is to be done in the context of ministering the word. Now you do this in various ways. And by various means, you remember Paul speaking to the elders in this church, in the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, this is how he described his own ministry. Acts 20, 20, he says, You yourselves know that I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. What was I doing? I was taking you back to the word and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is what I've been doing there. And now that I'm not there, Timothy, you're supposed to be there. And this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to preach the word. You're supposed to reprove. You're supposed to rebuke. You're supposed to exhort. But notice Paul doesn't stop there. He says, you must also endure hardship in verse 5. 
The wording literally means that you're supposed to suffer evil. We read a verse earlier where Paul tells Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, nine, verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, for which I suffered hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not in prison. Paul is writing this from prison. And he, t- he says to Timothy, Timothy, I am not asking you to do anything that I am not doing. I am faithful to my mission of proclaiming the gospel, of preaching the word. As a result of that, I am suffering. And I want to ask you to join me in my suffering for the gospel. And then he adds in verse 5, he says, you're supposed to do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist. A minister in the church whose role is to bring the gospel to the unreached. Those who have never heard so that they may hear the gospel. You see, every single occasion when we preach the word, it has two purposes. Either it will bring people to God or will conform people to the image of God. That's all we do. We proclaim the gospel so that people may come to know God or we preach the gospel so that people may become more like God. And he says, as you preach the word, you faithfully proclaim the gospel and you are doing the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelism. Include the gospel. Preach the gospel so that people who hear you, they may believe and they may be saved. What is he to do? Timothy is to preach the word. He is to reprove, rebuke, exhort, endure the hardship, and do the work of an evangelism. But notice he mentions one more, ten, one more thing. He says at the beginning of verse 5, he says, But you, Timothy, this is what you're supposed to be. But you, be sober. This is the only command that appears in the present tense. Timothy, do not allow your thinking to be clouded by anything that comes your way. It might be heresies that people are trying to promote in your church. It might be hardships. It might be difficulties. Timothy, think straight. Don't be intoxicated. Don't be, you know, taken sway by anything that comes your way. Timothy, I want you to be sober. So Timothy, according to this command here, he is supposed to be the minister of the word of God. Now you might listen to this and you might say, well, that's great. That's good for pastors. That's good for teachers. That's good for Bible study leaders. No, this is good for you. This is ministry of every single person here today. We're studying or we're going through a discussion book in our regional Bible studies, The Trellis and the Vine. This is how the author describes discipleship in that book. He says, God expects all Christians to be disciple makers by prayerfully speaking the word of God to one another in whatever way and to whatever extent that their gifting and circumstances allow. Now, if this is true, and it is, the only tool that you have in your tool belt to actually minister to somebody is to minister to them the word of God. And here Paul is encouraging Timothy. He said, Timothy, this is the only thing you got. And this thing is so powerful that it is able to accomplish this. And this is what you're supposed to do. Minister the word of God to your people. We have different roles. We have different ministries. But we have one tool that is able to accomplish the job. And that is the written word of God. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to preach the word. When are you supposed to do it? Look at verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
There's not much wiggle room here, is there? You're either in season or you're out of season. It's one or the other. If you want to paraphrase, when are you supposed to do it? You're supposed to do it at all times. Timothy, there is never a time for you to sit on the sidelines. There is never a time for you to throw in your towel. Timothy, you ought to be prepared. You ought to be ready to fulfill your ministry when times are good and when times are not so good. When times are suitable and when they're not so suitable. When it is easy and when it is hard. When the ministry is booming or when it is shrinking. When the people receive your word or when they don't. Timothy, all of that is irrelevant. Timothy, you are to be ready at all times. No matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to your church, no matter what happens to your children, no, it doesn't matter. Timothy, you are to be prepared at all times. There is no inopportune time for ministry. In light of the judgment that you're going to stand, in light of the time when you're going to stand in that courtroom of God, Timothy, there is never a time to throw in a towel. There is never a time to give up. There's never a time to take back seat in ministry. Now, this is an encouragement for Timothy to get back in the fight. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to minister the word. When are you supposed to do it? You're supposed to do it at all times. How are you supposed to do it? How are you supposed to do it? In verse 2, he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and you are to do it with great patience and instruction. If you have ESV, ESV says with complete patience. Ministry is not a sprint. Ministry is marathon. And Paul will conclude later on, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have, I have run the race. I have run the race which has been given to me. Now, wouldn't it be nice if Paul said something like this? You know, Timothy, I want you to do it with some patience. I mean, once in a while, there will be people who will try your patience. And I just want you to be patient sometimes. No. So, Timothy, I want you to do it with all patience. And when I like patience with somebody, all I need to do is just look in the mirror. How patient is God with me? How patient is God with you? You are where you are today because God has been so patient with you. And ministry is not, it doesn't happen overnight. People don't change overnight. And he says, Timothy, you are supposed to fulfill your ministry and you are to do it with patience. Let's get this one thing down. You cannot change people. You cannot cause growth. Don't play God in people's life. You simply cannot do it. You can plant, you can water, but you can't make it grow. Paul said to you from 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I plant, Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. It is God who causes people to change. It is God who transforms people. And we can change people. The only thing we can do is we can plant and we can water and we can pray like crazy so that God would produce change in those people. We don't try to play God. We don't try to manipulate people so that they conform to our standards. We faithfully teach the word of God. We reprove, we correct, and we train, and we hope and we pray that God would do his work in their hearts so that they would be changed. When is he supposed to do it? He's supposed to do it at all times. How is he supposed to do it? He's supposed to do it patiently. And finally, why is he supposed to do it? Look at verse 3. He says, the reason is because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. 
but wanted to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myth. Now, although this is stated as a prophecy, this prophecy was already being fulfilled in Paul's time there in Ephesus. When Paul was writing the first letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculations rather than furthering of the administration of God, which is by faith. Even at that time, when Timothy was supposed to become a pastor in the church, there were people in that church who were listening to myths. Now, in the context of the church in Ephesus, when we're talking about myths, myths most likely refer to some speculative interpretations of the Old Testament because the teaching that these false teachers promoted there in the church had to do with the Old Testament. Now, he says, you are to preach the word. And Timothy, you are to preach the word even when people in the church will not want to hear the word. People will not want to hear. Now, notice all the words here in this passage that refer to Scripture. In 3.15, you have sacred writings. In 3.16, you have scripture. In 4.2, he calls it the word. In 4.3, he says it is sound doctrine. In verse 4, he says this is the truth. All of these are synonyms that refer back to the written word. Now, if this was true then, how much more is it now? Now, when he says they will not endure it, who's they in this context? Now, the last reference to the group of people is in chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul referred to false teachers who infiltrated the church and tried to seduce people to follow after them. Earlier in chapter 3, he talked about a group of people that have form of godliness, even though they have denied its power. Notice he says, these people will no longer endure sound doctrine. And as a result of that, he says, they will turn away from the truth. They will not endure. They will not put up with it. They will not accept it. They will not bear under it. Just like the author of the book of Hebrews, he writes this entire letter, and then he says, Brothers, I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. Submit yourself under this word. And he says, There will be people in the church who will not want to submit to the word. Now, it's amazing. You would, you would think that if you hate the truth, just leave the church and stop listening to truth. You don't like the truth? Leave. But notice these people here, they don't leave. He says these people stay within the church and they have form of godliness. They have form of godliness to pacify their own conscience. As a result of their form of godliness, it says here, they will heap up for themselves. They will accumulate people for themselves who will tell them what they want to hear. What drives them, Paul says here, it is their evil desires. And every time this term is used in pastoral epistles, it is always used of sinful desires. And notice Paul uses a picture here. He says you're going to have people in your church with itching ears. Itching ears. You have an itch in your ear and you want somebody to come along and you want somebody to scratch it. And someone well said when you have hearers with itching ears, you will have preachers with itching palms wanting to be scratched by money and satisfy the market of itching ears. That is a commentary on today's day. These people don't necessarily leave the church. They just get a guy up there who will just simply tell them stories and tell them what they want to hear instead of taking them to the word, which will reprove, correct, and train them in righteousness. Now notice there are two verbs here where he says that as a result of their evil desires, they will turn away from the truth and be turned to myths. The first one is active. 
The first one is active because they actively don't want to hear what the word of God tells them. And as a result of that, they turn away from that. And the second verb is passive here. It says they will be turned to myths. Notice that as soon as you turn from light, you automatically turn to darkness. It's not like, you know, you can abandon the truth, you can abandon God, and then you're going to be a neutral person. No. As soon as you abandon the truth, you turn to lies. You turn to lies and you accept those lies. And you're worse off than you ever were. And notice here that people are ultimately accountable to God. When you have taught them the word, when you have pointed them to the truth that, the God, that God demands of them, now they have responsibility between you and God. It's not what I tell you. Who cares what I tell you? If what I'm telling you is not in the Bible, put it all in the garbage can and forget about it as you walk out of the door. But if what I'm telling you is truth, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account for that. And so he says, as you preach the word, you are bringing people to God. And as you're bringing people to God, they have to respond to God in one way or another. They will either accept it or they will reject it. How you respond to the word is exactly the same way how you respond to God. God is speaking to you through the word and what you do with it tells you how you respond to God. And Paul encourages Timothy in this passage. He says, Timothy, in light of the judgment of God, I want you to faithfully to minister the word of God. And I want you to do it regardless of how people respond to God. Some people will like it. Some people will enjoy it. Why? Because they love God and they want to be conformed to his image. Others will hate it. And they will turn away. And they will slander you. And they will speak evil of you. And they will persecute you. Now, I don't know what your ministry is. I don't know what your calling is. But just like Timothy, Paul says, listen, you can't bail out. You can't throw in your towel. You can't sit on the sidelines. Why? Because a day is coming. You have a court day with God. And whatever it is that God has assigned to you, you are to fulfill it. Now, this passage here is to be an encouragement for Timothy. Now, we don't know if Timothy ever heard from Paul again. We don't know if he ever made it to see him before his death. This is the final exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy before his death. Now, as Paul's sitting there in prison... And he's writing this. He knows that his death is imminent. And that's the reason why I read verses 7 and 8 to you. When Paul looks back at his life, he looks back at his service for the last 30 years or so. And he says, listen, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Listen, Timothy, I have stayed the course of my ministry. I have finished well. I have fought the good fight. No, I didn't just fight. I fought the good fight. I fought the fight that is worth fighting. He says, as I stand before God on that last day, as I stand in that courtroom, Jesus himself will come and Jesus himself will award me with the crown of righteousness. Now, if anyone had reason to be discouraged, it was Paul. I mean, you read of all things that Paul went through and he had plenty of opportunities to be discouraged. His ministry was difficult. People turned on him. Churches turned on him. 
His co-workers abandoned him. He's in prison all alone, even at this time as he's writing this. And he had every reason to give up. But he says, I am not giving up because I am looking to Christ Jesus and I know what I have entrusted to him until that final day. If you're discouraged today, or if you know someone who is discouraged, it is time for us to do what Paul did or what he commanded Timothy to do is just ponder on the fact that God has called you, that God has equipped you, and God has given you ministry. And he says, listen, persevere in your ministry, faithfully preaching the gospel of God. Now, if you're here today and you don't know the gospel, we would fail in this passage because he says you're supposed to do the work of an evangelist. If you don't know the gospel, if you don't know what it is, we are glad that you're here. See, the gospel is simple. It is that sinners like you and I have a Savior. It is that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. And no matter what you've done, no matter how low you've fallen, there is grace in Christ Jesus, and he is the Savior. Though we all justly deserve punishment, we have Christ who is the mediator who stands between us and God and who qualifies us for the inheritance which God has prepared for us. If you don't know that you're going to heaven today, listen, don't leave this place before you talk to somebody. Because our ministry here is to preach the gospel. You have to repent of your sins and you have to place your faith in Christ in order to be saved. But for the most of us here who are saved, I want this to be an encouragement for you just like it was encouragement for Timothy. May God encourage you to persevere in your ministry so that on the final court day, when you stand in that court before God, you will be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And I have kept the faith. Father, we can't do this on our own. We have no strength but we have Christ. We have Christ and we have his grace. And I pray that you would encourage every heart here as only you can do it. That you would stir desire in all of us to be faithful in the field that you have assigned to us. May we find ways to minister the word of God to our families, to believers, and to unbelievers alike so that you would be glorified and your gospel would go forth. In the name of Christ, amen.